Welcome to Analyze Asia, the podcast dedicated to dissect the pulse of business, technology, and media in Asia. The show is sponsored by IdealWorkspace.com, which promotes a healthier way of working through their adjustable standing desks. Check out their latest smart adjustable standing desk at aspirus.co, A-S-P-I-R-U-S dot C-O, and linkshus.com, where you can sell your products everywhere. Hi, Tyson. Hi, Ben. How are you doing? Very well. How are you? I am well. I am now on a late Friday evening in Braintree's office in Singapore, but it's actually for, they are actually running it for the whole of Asia Pacific. So, Tyson, you have been someone that I really wanted to talk to because I'm very keen to know a lot more about Braintree payments because I know about the service in the US market. Yes. So, but before we start, I want to sort of get an understanding about your career, what you have done so far. How did you get started in technology? Look, it was as much uh, around a passion and an interest than a calling. It really came from working in traditional print advertising and on newspapers and seeing a you know, small division of News Limited at the time, which is obviously News Corp, start with these things called banner ads. And it, and it grew from there. It also came with a, uh, a passion and an interest in gadgets and at the time mobile phones back in the 2G days and the 2.5G, where I was very interested in in not just, just the phone for the purpose of making calls, but also for the purpose of entertainment. So that sort of led my career. I got involved in playing around with, you know, at the time, what you could do with a mobile phone for messaging and worked a lot on trying to understand what, what, this, what this could mean for, for businesses and advertisers. Mm, and that's that, in Australia, right? In Australia, yeah. So. Mm. We're certainly in a period where SMS was seen as very much a personal, you know, a, peer, a, a peer-to-peer messaging protocol, right? Everyone used SMS. Mm. I was approached by a, a colleague who'd moved to Vodafone to coming to get involved at Vodafone when they were looking to create their uh, premium billing services and they were looking at all the things that were voting for, for Australian Idol and for Big Brother and paying for ringtones and logos back when we used to spend $5 on a ringtone when it cost only $1.99 for the song. When people did chat and they did horoscopes and any sort of entertainment, before we called it digital commerce, before we called it digital anything, it was, you know, it was premium billing services. It was quite boring as a name. So that passion just was ignited and and I guess it was fed from being involved in a, in a company that would, of course, become a lot more synonymous with what is now you know mobile uh, itself so when mobile phones had penetration of 30 40 percent of the population you know that's where i began now of course we're at a very different juncture where average people have 1.5 devices and you know potentially you know two sims for every person and they're running a and a phone, a tablet, a phablet, a, a Wi-Fi hotspot, a, mm. a number of things that are running on mobile services. Mm. So I guess before the PayPal part, mm. you have spent a, a seeing the, what are we called, the 2G world of mobile phones or mm. maybe the WAP. I think a lot of people don't know what that means today, right? Yes, that's yes. right. So in those parts of your career, what are the interesting lessons you have learned that you can share about in looking at the industry and how it has been transformed? Look, Number one is never assume that you know more than the customers that you have. Never assume that your product is going to be used by everyone. And probably most importantly, never assume that you know that what the trend is going to look like and try and influence that trend. So I think the thing we learned early on with, within the SMS 
you know, text messaging space were that I don't think anyone could have predicted what people were going to use it for and where it was going to go. On top of that, the one, the bigger part of what we did at the time were to influence or work with partners. And I think the one thing that made for significant growth was around having partners who could utilize. Now we had connections to the network before they were called APIs, right? Before there were mm. terms, but we used to connect partners to the network so they could send bulk messaging and, and interact with those services. And what you realize our partners are often a lot better at creating services than you can internally. So I think a lot of businesses have tried, you know, at the time we had a internal content services house and they never made the revenue or drove the demand like the external services did. So what you discover is often it's better to be a partner that powers the commerce or powers the ideas rather than try and create them and sell them yourself. You have an interesting career looking at advertising in telecommunications dealing with services mm. and then you come to PayPal. What brought you to PayPal and then subsequently how it got you to Braintree? Yeah, well, period at Vodafone certain taught me that technology was moving quickly, but what also happened were, you know, in that period was, you know, there was this thing called an iPhone, you know, mm. <laughs> suddenly appeared and suddenly there was a screen that didn't have buttons. And, you know, there was no buttons, there was no keypad. It was all around this screen and the content on it. For me, I very quickly, you know, like others, realized that this was going to be a very important device for people in the future. And and it was I was approached around an opportunity to, to move to PayPal because they too had identified that mobile could be something. And it was, you know, they certainly, and I think like a lot of organizations at the time, there wasn't a lot of experience in understanding the, the end-to-end of mobile networks and essentially how you know, users were inter, you know, interacting with mobile. So my time at PayPal was certainly, well, certainly in the infancy of mobile payments. And it was during that time that I identified Braintree as an organization that was helping the next generation of digital commerce. They had started with you know, little companies you know, like, like Uber and Airbnb, which yep. were very, very small at the time, who had ideas with a couple of people in a room with, you know, whiteboard, with a whiteboard or drawing on glass mm. with business ideas of commercializing and democratizing services, utilizing, you know, this new platform, which is mobile. So, you know, for me, that's, you know, the journey. So I was dealing with the traditional retailers who were going to bricks and mortar, did all that during my PayPal time, and then, you know, reached out to Braintree to see what the expansion would look like for them. And that was, that was where I ended up at Braintree. So your current role is the head of Braintree for the Asia Pacific. Yes. Now, Maybe to help the audience, maybe we first start off by Braintree is a payments company that was acquired by PayPal, but I think very little is known about it. Maybe you can give me a little bit of intro on Braintree itself. Yeah, certainly. So Braintree started in a very similar fashion to PayPal. It was a service for small businesses or emerging businesses or technology businesses who couldn't get merchant services traditionally through their banks. You know, the traditional service model for banks is to have a a long, uh, you know, a, a long relationship with a, with a client or a, one of their, their customers before they give them access to online merchant services because of the risk models wrapped around it. Braintree started as a full end-to-end both gateway and merchant facility for processing online payments. So it was started in Chicago and it was all around helping small businesses get online or, and or helping online businesses sell their services. And so Braintree has evolved from being obviously a, um, a US-led organization to now being global. You know, we're in 
many countries with headcount in many countries and we, we service, you know, 140 plus currencies. So everything we do is to help local businesses be regional, regional businesses be global and global businesses be regional and local. So, you know, if you look at where global businesses are going, they're still trying to acquire local, set themselves up locally in, in certain places, create beachheads in certain countries. And part of that is you need to have a partner that can help you with that expansion. So Brain Cheese, again, it's whole purpose is to make sure we make it easy wherever you want to be as well you know for for our merchants because at the end of the day we are quite invisible you don't see us you won't see our brand in in the uber app you won't see us mentioned in airbnb you won't see us mentioned in passport asia in all of our merchants where we are an invisible partner but importantly we enable the payment flow so that people can pay for the services, for the goods, for, you know, for the items that they want to uh, get off their, uh, off their, um, the shops that they're, or the services they're interacting with. Interesting because I realized, just spoken to you a little bit earlier, is that after two years after the payback acquisition, Braintree has actually more than 50 billion in authorized payment volume. My first interaction with Braintree is when I was visiting San Francisco in 2011, and it was very interesting because the payment was seamless and it was actually escrow service because Airbnb has to hold the payments before mm. paying it out. And that was our first interaction. And in fact, in the startup community in Asia, we've been always wondering when Braintree is turning yes. up. So it's finally turned up in Asia now. So this is where the part of the conversation is. What's Braintree's footprint in Asia now? So we started in Australia, well, Australia is an extension of, of APAC. So we started in Australia just on uh, three years ago. and. Uh, earlier this year, we expanded to Singapore, Malaysia, and, and Hong Kong, and working with businesses you know, across those three entities. And we are also doing a uh, what we're calling a beta out of New Zealand as well. So we've come over and you know we've started with those markets, you know the high penetration credit card markets, high mobile usage markets. Therefore, you know the places that we think we well, we know because of demand and. We'd like to thank the community that were reaching out and asking us when they were coming because we did capture all those requests and it does help us identify the next markets to go to. So we, we have the joy of quite long waiting lists or, and or registration of interest lists that we, we do follow up when we launch into, into markets. So at the moment we're, we're offering, offer, offering our services in those markets and that's for both uh, domestic payments as well as uh, multi-currency payments, you know, cross-border payments so that you can take uh, payment card, credit card payments from any one credit card. In fact, I think it's pretty interesting. You also do recurring payments, subscription payments, and pre-starting in March, you also did hackathons to get the developers, yes. basically the, the startups to come yes. and use Braintree as a trial. Absolutely. And what, what I think that, again, to reinforce you know, where businesses are different today. What happens is we notice a lot of businesses have subsidiaries. So we already had customers who were, may have had their head office in Singapore, but had an Australian entity or a US entity or a UK entity, and they were running the services through those entities. So, and we're finding that to be quite popular in the region. So you don't necessarily have to be in one of, uh, you know, have you, one of your, you know, be, have your headquarters in the country we're in, but as long as you've got a subsidiary that you're willing to interact with and, and be part of the, you know, to utilize your service, you can use us. So we have, you know, a number of companies from other countries in region who utilize us because they, you know, they have a registered entity in Singapore or a registered entity in Hong Kong, etc. So that also we're seeing is quite popular because people are 
trying to be in different points of presence to bread their businesses and take advantage of local conditions. And do you have any challenges doing Braintree? Do you have to localize your service for, say, maybe in Hong Kong, they, they deal with Chinese, you know, language localization or even payment types, right? Yeah, look, <clears throat> to date, no. Um, I think that the big aspect is that most uh, organizations we deal with are selling globally mm-hmm. or regionally, so they're using uh, English as a common language. So a lot of what, what we find is that we have no issues with any of the documentation or any of the, the scripting. So to date, it hasn't been an issue at all. As part of our marketing efforts, we certainly have produced some of our products and services or you know, and used local languages just to make the messaging easier but in most cases I, I guess the joy of code is that code is code right it's uh it, it's or it's 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 a common language in itself that, that people write so it doesn't have a requirement of being either in english or mm-hmm. chinese or, or mandarin you know like spoken or written it comes in its one flavor on a uh, of, of green <laughs> mm-hmm. it's, it's in fact it's pretty simple to integrate braintree into any forms of uh, internet services mm-hmm. e-commerce or uh, on-demand mobile apps but what are the business opportunities actually for Braintree to tap into Asia? I mean, Asia is a mobile first world. So what are your thoughts on that? Oh, look, Asia is, I don't, it's even, I think, you know, mobile first or even more so mobile only, hmm. you know, with so many people having only a mobile device as their, as their window for commerce, we know that this is, you know, that the device is, is inherently the focal point. We have so many merchants, or you know, we, we use the word merchant because it's a very old term, but we use it in the, the financial services we have. But we have so many merchants who are mobile only now and will never have really a web presence other than for a bit of customer service and or FAQs or very low touch reasons to have a, a, a web service. Um, at the same time, we do know the number of people are building mobile web as well. Mobile web shouldn't be ignored. Mobile web is also a major part of growth. And I think what we're seeing is you can no longer just repurpose your website. You can no longer try and utilize some of the services where where they're just uh, changing for screen size. What we do see and what we do suggest and what we help people take advantage of is actually being mobile only or mobile first. And then that, that means that you need to do mobile development focusing on mobile development. It means that mobile web isn't a screen scrape of your website. It's actually built with the mobile in mind. Because in so many ways, unless you're building for mobile, you'll miss the opportunity for to help the consumer. When I said before about you know assuming, you know, never assume what you think to be true. Always find out what the customer wants. And what we see with our services are that people want fast and easy services. You know, we're on our mobile, we're constantly being interrupted by other things. We've got, you know, WhatsApp going on, we've got, you know, messaging coming through Facebook. It's a constant stream. So unless I can check out quickly, unless I can get in and out of that experience quickly, I'm likely to have moved on to something else. So our services allow that because the number one thing we, we want to drive and help customers with is what we've done for the likes of Uber and Airbnb, which is tokenizing. Mm. And can I say that this is the one hidden in plain sight opportunity that sits in existing commerce today is storing a customer's credit card details. It yeah. sounds, 
you know, trivial, talk, but it's actually very important. I work in payments. I know that too. You know, so <laughs> because once you have it, yeah. you've now got a relationship. Yeah. You've now got, right. you've now got an authority to interact with the consumer in a very fast and efficient way. You know, we all have had our Uber ride and seen that really there is no pay button anymore. There's no mm. checkout. It's just book. Yep. You know, if you're using hotel tonight, if you're using any of the services, it's reserve, it's book, it's, it, we've now changing the language of, of commerce as well, where it's a lot more conversational. But most importantly is we're not asking people to jump through hoops, to do multi steps in which to, to check out. We're asking them to just one button touch, this one touch concept and PayPal, how we enable PayPal for that as well is all around this one touch experience where I no longer have to go through a series of authentications to try and check out. I guess that's what we're, where we see the opportunity. We see the opportunity of what we've seen in other markets and bringing it to Asia. And I guess there's some interesting data that I've actually got. I think from one interesting PayPal study is that involving about 17,000 consumers in 22 countries is that your M-commerce, which is mobile commerce, is actually predicted to grow at a compound rate of say 42%, which is 3x the rate of what e-commerce yep. is. So I guess the payment side would be more towards having that one click. Correct. And, and look, I, and I think the th interesting part about that study is I, I think it's got a bit more of a global focus. So mm. I, I would mm. <laughs> predict that, that that probably has even more so, you know, a, even a, a stronger multiplier effect in Asia because the growth we're seeing in Asia is, is, is hard to contain. It's, it's, it's faster than anyone is anticipating or expecting. But to your point, it's about respecting that the customer has only so much time in a day and don't ask them to do more than what yeah. they, you know, they need, they need to do. Give it, make it too easy, make it an easy interaction, make it all about the speed. I mean, it's, we, we are bombarded with so many messages that, you know, we need to make it about speed. Now, of course, the flip side is for your, for the, for the merchant, for the business. They're spending so much money on, on social, they're spending so much money on advertising, on words, on all the different means to drive someone to that experience. They should also spend as much amount of time or effort in making sure that there isn't anything impeding the checkout mm. and getting in the way of someone checking out. So I guess given this insights that you talk about that business in the region, they need to figure out what is important mobile, I mean, in terms of their E and M payment options, where when E will be something like a web payment, but we also have mobile payments now. What do you think is the kind of best practices for something, someone like Braintree to sort of make sure that your customers, mm. which is the merchants, they need to think about? I think you've got to consider very quickly the concept of digital commerce mm. being multi-platform. So attaching someone's payment as an ID to them no matter which screen that they interact with. Yep. We know that people, we see it and studies have shown that people can go through multiple screens to get to the checkout, where they may start on their phone and move to web, where they start on web, move to phone, then go to tablet. Like, whatever happens, treat them as an, you know, treat their ID as their, uh, I guess, as, as the, the uh, connection to their payment. So rather than asking to do something different on each device, Try and tie them to it. Try and tie them to their ID, so that all it is is this one-click checkout. So it's a you know, authentication, authentication done as part of you know them logging in, making sure that you've got a billing agreement with them, 
That means that as they want to check out, you don't have to ask again and again and again for all the detail. You know, get the seconds out. You know, we've seen that you've seen the figures around the, you know, for every seven seconds, you know, the drop off in the, you know, the X, you know, double digit drop off when it comes in the checkout experience. Think of all the little things and they add up to be quite, you know, considerable in your business. One thing is they'll surprise and delight your customer, mm. but two, they will help you make more money. They will help you grow your business faster than any other part of your business if you can make the checkout easy and have the relationship with the customer. One of the interesting things I like about Braintree as a user, because I, well, maybe because I work in the area, I know what is powering payments in Uber or Airbnb when I travel, is the trust. What about trust then? Well, I think the trust for us, our responsibility to the merchant is that we secure the data and we tokenize and essentially turn what is a credit card into a key that is easily unlocked between the, the merchant and the Braintree gateway, but nowhere else. So creating that on behalf of the merchant means that we've taken on, you know, in respects you've outsourced, you know, outsourcing to Braintree, the security of that data. So for your customer, the nice part is that you've got a specialist, a global specialist team who know what security looks like, focus on security. It's one of our core propositions. One of our pillars is to make sure that we protect the data on behalf mm. of all the merchants, which in respect means that we're protecting the data of your customers. Mm. And I think that's a, a major component of what we do. And that security is run by, you know, best of, best of breed people, you know, people and services that ensure that no matter where you are in the world, what time zone, what country that you can connect and interact mm. and have a really good customer experience. And you also need to simplify it, I guess, as well for the customer. You do. I mean, for us, the customer doesn't feel it. The customer's just asked to enter the card details once. And that's the other thing. I mean, every time you do have uh, customer data entered, you want to make sure you secure it. You want to make sure that the customer data is associated in a way that there's not an opportunity for it to be taken or scraped or hacked or anything. I mean, we know that we see a lot of those different hacks in the in the world and we, we often hear the stories. And I think that's because people sometimes think or companies sometimes think that they can do it better than professional services. But that's, you know, becoming more of the minority than the majority anymore. Mm -hmm. People know that you've got to get a specialist to do a specialist job. So you started in March, so mm. a couple of months. Any interesting Asia case studies that you oh, can talk about? I yeah. talked about, I was looking at a couple of them and one of them that really interests me is Passport Asia. What mm. did they do and how do Braintree help them? Well, I think you've got two, you know, in very yeah, similar, as well, right? and Passport yeah, Asia, yeah, that's right. which actually add with a number of others. I, I've been incredibly surprised in the, uh, in the fitness sector and the and how popular it is in uh, in Asia, um, especially with all the different types of fitness that everyone is involved in. But Passport Asia, KFit, etc. What they're saying is doing it in your own time, you know, doing it when you want to do it, and and allowing you, not locking you in. Again, you know, we've seen this part of democratization of of services. It's not about locking people in anymore. It's about giving choice. So what they allow you to do is still keep a very regular schedule of uh, exercise and fitness. However, choose the different ways you want to do it. Now, whether that be that you each week you want to do something different, you may have a bent towards yoga, but you decide you want to try different types. You might like CrossFit, you might like boxing, or you might like to make sure that every week you're doing something different. 
instead of being tied into contracts and or buying blocks of classes, etc., this allows you to pick and choose and change based on you know what your week looks like. Probably more importantly in these in these cases, it also allows you for those who travel to make sure you have a, a single membership but have a multiple multiple access to services. So if you are you know someone like myself who might be in Sydney and then Hong Kong and Singapore, etc., these services are actually allowing me to continue my service in no matter what geography I am. And I think that's the the nice part we're seeing with a lot of uh, a lot of the products that are coming out where. It's not about just solving a domestic problem. Mm. It's about a regional a regional opportunity. And these guys have said, well, people want flexibility. They want choice. They want to, you know, we want to choose these days. We want the drop down box and the mm. quick do something different. They, you know, it also allows for people to try things before they get heavily invested. We know that in fitness that what we've seen is that people often balk or, you know, they often have problems committing to long-term contracts because they don't know what their schedule is going to look like. They not don't know what their activity is going to be like. This gives you an opportunity to, to have a regular lifestyle and a fitness regime and ensure that you can interact in the way you want to. And pay as you go as well. And pay as you go. Um, and or, you know, in some cases it might be they still go, are they still utilizing the recurring billing where they still take a, a recurring payment? They're all, all models are different. Mm. That's the nice thing is we're watching in, in many of these case studies is everyone's trying a different model because they're trying to meet the different needs of the customer rather than saying what works for us is, you know, if you fit into this box, they're saying, well, you know, the box can be a bit bit broader, a bit wider, and we can allow to have different shades of, of uh, membership types so people can, you know, meet their lifestyle needs. And then you also did one for food in mm. Singapore. Okay, that's where I live, so I have to oh. be a bit biased. So about the hawker food, right? Yeah, well, Hawker is uh, a great new uh, uh, a business that, uh, well, that is really, again, taken on this on-demand aspect, but allowing people to choose uh, what I would say are more traditional, uh, you know, foods, which, you know, the Hawkers are, are you know, synonymous mm. with Singapore living. One of the greatest things I enjoy personally about living in uh, Singapore, I, I spend more time there than any other restaurant type. I, I love it because to me, the, the freshness and the difference in food. For me, that also now means that I can have that at home, I can have it at work, or I can have it wherever I am. Mm. So if I choose to be some, work somewhere different for the day, I can have it come to me. And yet I can still enjoy the tastes and the flavors that, that I want. And I guess that's what they've said is, you know, people are mobile. They can be doing something else, but they can still choose to have something which in many cases could be a healthier alternative, it could be a fresher alternative, it could certainly be a pleasing taste alternative which can help, you know, we all have little things that we look forward to in the day. Maybe your satay is arriving at uh, 12.30 uh, with the peanut sauce that you love is the thing that, you know, makes the afternoon just a little bit better. You see, I have to explain why, because in hawker food, it's actually small businesses and they typically don't accept credit card payments. They are usually cash-based and they are value for money. They're very cheap in Singapore mm. and they're everywhere. And the fact is that they are actually using Braintree yeah. to get through. That's right. Well, and I think this is, again, it shows, again, you know, hawker, where they've gone different, you know, uh, with their model is not too dissimilar to others, so like, like Uber and they've said, well, actually, let us be... The, the organization you interact with mm. will be what they call a merchant of record. We'll be the company that you trust in. We'll be the company that organizes. We're the company that if you have an issue, we'll sort out the issue, Yeah, if mm. it happens. But they're also the one you can rely on 
to be there each time. And if, you know, they'll organize the A and B for you so that you can access, yes, the very small businesses, the very small traditional businesses of Singapore, who you're right, haven't really aren't built to go digital commerce uh, anytime soon. So when you realize that they've, they're digitally enabling the hawker, I mean, it's quite a thing. It's quite a thing for Singapore. And I think they've done a great job. You know, everyone should try it, obviously, and, and, and see if it works for them. I, I must admit, I, I think this, also the, the passion of the people behind these businesses is also the thing that makes working in this region so good. Mm. Passionate people want to deliver great services who want to encourage encourage other businesses and other small businesses and take, you know, I keep saying the same thing I know, but they're really helping a lot of others take advantage of digital commerce on behalf. You know, they're aggregating, you know, they're doing it all in different ways, but they're helping people have um, access to this next generation of services without high investment. That's right. And I guess moving forward, you have already gone through most of what I call the developed economies in Asia, the developed cities like Hong Kong, Singapore, and you're going to start going into the emerging markets mm. without reviewing where mm. you're going to go. But what would you think would be the challenges to sort of make Braintree available in the developing markets in the mobile first world? Look, I think that it will always come down to you know, uh, access to, to credit card, credit card and banking products. You know, at the end of the day, because it's electronic, it needs to be real time. And, and they're the services that make real time billing work. And although we see a lot of emerging wallets, which is great to see, predominantly we still have to work on a on a base uh, of technology. And, and for us, it means that there has to be a, a good amount of credit card penetration. Now, the great part is that the you know, credit cards in themselves are becoming easier to access and easier for people to, to utilize. We've seen the advent of the debit card and the growth of the debit card. I mean, it's very difficult, even in uh, definitely in Singapore and, and Hong Kong now to have a bank card that doesn't have the logo of one of the, uh, the the card organizations on there, right? So this sort of thing, as it emerges in other countries, and we're seeing these in uh, in the Indonesias and Philippines and Vietnams and, and Thailands, et cetera, as these bases grow, then we'll see the opportunities to engage them more and more. So, but at the same time, look, I, I think, as I said before, you, we, we're seeing a lot of companies who are setting up in Singapore so that they can take advantage in their country anyway, because that's the other advantage we have. We do multi-currency, which means that you can present in Thai baht, in, in Vietnamese dong. You can do it in ringgit and you, know, you can actually present in the currency of the country you're operating in without necessarily having to be in that country. Thank you so much, Tyson. I guess my last question to you, and I definitely will get you back sometime to talk a lot more about what you have been doing. So help my audience. How do they find you? Well, they find us in the greatest digital format. <laughs> there's, uh, there's, there's two ways, Twitter, yeah, at Braintree, um, very easy to find, and then the links to the website. But yes, the, the usual www.braintreepayments.com. Mm. And then uh, just select your country and uh, we, can, we can help you out. So uh, easy enough to find. So am I okay to share that you also have a personal Twitter account as well? Yeah, I have personal Twitter. Yes, I'm, uh, I'm at Tysonius. So more than happy for people to follow. I, I try and uh, make sure I share all the, the latest, you know, cool businesses that are going live in Asia that I see and also anything interesting that people might want to read. So there's one more interesting executive that you have to follow. You can find me at BLongCW or subscribe to us at Analyze Asia, A-N-A-L-Y-S-E, Asia, A-S-I-A. 
You can find us in iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and Acast. Please give us your best ratings and also comments are greatly available. We are also on Product Hunt nowadays and Quip as well. So once again, Tyson, thank you very much for coming on the show and thank you for giving me this interview. No, no, thank you. It was great.